Hello, and welcome to the Cardinal Cafe. My name is Greg Chastain, and I'm the president of Voices of Hope. Usually alongside me is Ed Siegel, the vice president, but he's getting ready for some other things in his life, so I'm your solo host today. I think the real reason is, is because I won the NCAA basketball pool, and they're all cowering for me, not trying to give me my money today. So we'll see, uh, see, see if I can track them down. Not much uh, banter back today since I'm it, and I'm going to proudly introduce, I'm honored to have Miss Joyce Colhaywick with us today. Most of you in this area know her from WBZ Days, arts and entertainment editor, director extraordinaire. Joyce, welcome to the show. Hi, Greg. So nice to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. You actually were the very first MC for the very first Voices of Hope show back in 2010 when we were at Symphony Hall. I will never forget that. That was a pretty extraordinary event. I remember being in my dressing room and going out on stage. It was also in Symphony Hall. You don't get better acoustics than that. It's such an auspicious stage to be on. It was really a great kickoff. So I was honored to be asked. Yeah, it was great. Symphony Hall is beautiful and the acoustics are everything. But backstage, trying to get 60 people in no space. <laughs> it was quite an eye-opener being backstage, but it was a lot of fun. Oh, I know. I, got, I have to say I love that about all these old Boston venues. You know, they, they're so grand with all the sort of the gilded balconies and the, the wood and the moldings and all that. And you go backstage, it's like creeping around these sort of cavernous <laughs> corridors and there are ghosts everywhere. And, you know, uh, I quite love it. Yeah, I wish we had had better photography back then. We could have seen the people um, changing clothes inside the big giant, the big giant uh, cabinets that held the cellos and the tubas, because that's where we had to change. It was very funny. Oh, yeah, right down there in the dungeon downstairs. I, re I know where that spot is. Yeah, you come into the stage door, and then you head down those stairs. That's one of the things I just love about, you know, a lot of these old venues in, in Boston. Just love it. Yeah, I, I used to, when I lived in New York, I was with the New York Choral Society, and we rehearsed at Carnegie Hall. Oh. We actually got to perform there once, but we rehearsed there. To go in the back of Carnegie Hall the first time, I'm like, oh, Carnegie Hall, I opened the door. It was, there was trash and graffiti on the wall. The graffiti turned out, <laughs> graffiti turned out to be autographs from like Liza Minnelli of and all these amazing people. the wall, and there are cobwebs <laughs> and spiders hanging down, and you know, boards that people have walked over for decades and decades. Yeah. And you just have to imagine who's performed there. So you just got to love that. I used to make sure that somebody was walking by when I went to open the door to the backstage of Carnegie Hall. So they knew I was going into Carnegie Hall. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you been? Well, I, haven't, I haven't really seen you in person since then. We've chatted a couple times over internet and all that, but uh, how are things going for you? Well, things are, things are going great. I mean, honestly, I've been kind of all over the place running my website, joyceschoices.com, where I still review movies and theater, speak my mind on a variety of subjects, and offer uh, free advanced screening passes to Joyce's Choices screenings for film releases before they uh, are publicly released. And um, yeah, I host and speak and MC and just do a, a lot of things on a lot of different fronts. I have to say I I miss the one single platform that was television and how large that platform was. That, that's really, I don't miss the deadline pressure, but <laughs> I did, yeah, that was hair-raising, I have to say, and I did yeah. that for almost 30 years. But, I mean, you know, be, you'd be sitting in the theater at 10, 15, 
and then be writing all the way back, you know, in through the intermission and in the cab and then in editing have to come up with a piece visually and with the right words and I'd be running down the hall with my script in one hand, my lipstick in the other. <laughs> hope to get on that stage, you know, to say something even remotely coherent at 11.25, uh, hoping that Pablo Bell didn't use up all my time. I mean, so, <laughs> those were the days, shall we say. But I, I have to say, I miss the audience, and I miss the huge platform. Uh, and, of course, it's not ever been the same since. TV has been grossly fragmented, and there's you know, we used to have three or four stations, and now we have uh, a thousand and three or four stations. Right, right. So, yeah, it's just, uh, it was a very special time. I actually went to one of your screenings years ago when you uh, screened Platoon. I, I got tickets oh. I got tickets through a friend, and we uh, you were there, and we you did the screening. I, I can't remember where it was. It must have been downtown. Right. Because I lived in Brookline at the time, but I, I did go to one of those screenings many moons ago. Yeah, if you go to my site, joyceschoices.com, you can uh, still get tickets for things as they come up. So I'm still doing all of that. And I'm the president of the Boston Theater Critics Association. So I have to see everything that uh, comes through town, small and large, fringe and mainstream. <laughs> Although there has been you know, quite a dent in the theater and movie scene in the last two years. Yeah. So there hasn't been an awful lot to review on stage, but it's starting to come back finally. And luckily, I was getting a lot of links of movies, but a lot of movies weren't even being produced and released then. Everything's been thrown up in the air, and chaos has ensued, and we're all trying to figure out where we land best and how to reinvent these formats, you know, how to reinvent ourselves and how we get information out there. Yeah. Now, do you do just in-house theater, or do you have to do all the streaming movies? Because there's tons of those. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> I'm my own boss. <laughs> I now do what I like. So if I don't want to see the 59th installment of Spider-Man, I don't have to. <laughs> if I don't have to see the latest Marvel comics uh, or Pixar release, I don't have to. <laughs> Believe me, my, my patience for all that is really kind of running thin. I'm just kind of tired of the way the, the, a lot of the mainstream movies have been dumbed down or relegated to just, you know, action hero franchises, comic book heroes. I'm not even crazy about it when women get involved. For me, it's like women putting on men's clothing. It's sort of like, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of funky sometimes. I love that. But at the movies, you know, to have women wielding axes and guns isn't, isn't doing it for <laughs> me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we haven't been to the action movie theater in, a, in a, like two years. The stuff we've watched on streaming has been more like Coda and those sort of things. Now, Ed, if he was, if Ed was here, Ed yes. is actually on just about every newspaper that came out after Coda One because they always show them sitting in the audience uh, where they filmed it up at the uh, Beverly and Ed uh, watching their daughter on stage, that photograph, and Ed is three rows behind them. So Ed is in oh, every wow. paper around the world. So he's like, oh, my, my movie won an Oscar. So <laughs> Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And, of course, uh, Coda has uh, opened up again at the Beverly Inn Theaters because it was just streaming. But, no, there's much better stuff streaming now than there ever was before. And now there isn't that hard line between TV performers and movie performers, it would be that you would never see Meryl Streep on television or Nicole Kidman or anybody like that. Right. They wouldn't. In fact, it was considered a sort of a step down. 
Now it's the way to get material out that's intelligent, that's thoughtful, that's adult, that uh, requires some sort of focus and concentration. They might, might actually be well-written and well-produced. I mean, there are some beautiful movies that are being made, too, for the big screen, but this has certainly widened the, um, the platforms on which you can see quality material and content. So I think it's terrific, and I can watch whatever I want and talk about whatever I want. I'm still thinking about the Oscars and now the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> the Oscars was kind of quiet this year, wasn't it? I don't remember anything really happening. <laughs> no. <laughs> I loved it when uh, Amy Schumer came out and said, did I, did I miss something? I said, the vibe in here is really different. That was so needed. I mean, it uh. was so needed for somebody to say something and lighten the mood, but What's been extraordinary to me is how long we have all been focused on it. What nerve did it hit? What did it trigger? Uh, and I have my own theories about that. I'm sort of formulating them into a think piece. And it's what the Grammys, I think, did so well this past Sunday night. It was a beautiful, entertaining, uplifting, and extravagant production. Yeah. And it did everything that, um, that artists can and should be able to do, which is to, you know, put us all in touch with the best parts of ourselves and our deepest humanity and celebrate everybody's individual voices. You know, Jean-Baptiste, oh, who won yes. those five Grammys, said it better than I've ever heard it said before, you know, which was, it's not really a competition. It's everybody finding their own niche, raising the, his or her own voice, their own voice, like Radar, that material finding its audiences and all of us really being lifted up. He is such an extraordinary, soulful, good human. Yeah. It was quite lovely. And it, it's what, <laughs> the diversity on that stage was incredible, you know? Yep. From K-pop to classic to jazz to rock and roll to blues to folk to country. I mean, that's the world now, and we need to celebrate all of it. So that, that was tremendous. And the Oscars, aside from the slap, was a historic event on, on all those fronts. The most diverse set of films ever honored, I believe. A first on so many levels. So, but it really struck me. Um, <laughs> and Chris Rock. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. Oh my gosh! I the John Baptiste uh, performance just blew me away. I, I rewound it and watched oh. it like two or three times. He's when you, when you see him on Colbert, you hear a little bit of him play, but you forget how amazing he is as oh a dancer, gosh. a singer, an entertainer. He's just incredible. Yeah, a musician, uh, instrumentalist, composer, producer. His feet barely touched the ground. He was <laughs> just percolating all over that stage. It was gorgeous. So was Lenny Kravitz and her. And so was Lady Gaga yeah. and Tony Bennett, you know, singing Tony Bennett. It was, it was fantastic. I just loved it. And you certainly know something about music. Voices of Hope is, you know, in this sphere, in this realm. And music is the great leveler, isn't it? It is. The ultimate yeah. communication space. No language needed. Everyone gets it. Yeah. Last night we were back at the theater, the North Shore Music Theater, because our performance is coming up in a couple of weeks for the first time in two years. And ironically, 
last night, which was April 4th, recording this on the 5th, April 4th, two years ago, we were supposed to be taking the stage for Anything Goes. And of course, it got shut down in March. <laughs> Anything went. Yeah. yeah, but it was two years to the date. And we didn't even notice it until it popped up in our, you know, our Facebook memories. That's <laughs> how we remember things these days. Right. To be back there last night with the cast of 65 and going through dance and music, it was, it was humbling to be back out there and realizing how much we missed it. I can't go past the Grammys without mentioning the most amazing, as a theater person myself, the uh, In Memoriam Quartet oh. from Broadway. Oh, my Sondheim. gosh. Oh, it was... Sondheim. Who would have thought those three, those three songs could be melded into something that amazing? It was... Every one of my theater friends is like, all right, we've got to get the arrangement of that and figure out how to do it. <laughs> no, that was extraordinary. I was thinking, oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, we know he has a certain kind of, or had, unfortunately, we lost him this year. Yeah. We do know that there there are certain kinds of intervals and harmonics that that were trademark Sondheim, and who would have imagined that you could blend them so intricately and so beautifully? And have you ever heard four more exquisite voices? Uh, wow! I was so glad the the lady from West Side Story sang live because in the original movie, of course, you know Maria's voice and some of them were dubbed. And I, and I knew oh. she was a gorgeous singer, and I'm so glad she got to show that off and be a part of those other three. Her voice is like heaven. Is it Rachel Ziegler? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Rachel Ziegler, and she's oh, just so beautiful. Beautiful, physically beautiful, but also what a voice. Was it Ben Platt who was yeah. up there? Cynthia Erivo, Odom. Oh, my God, Leslie Odom Jr. And that there was room on that stage for also theater music in the middle of all everything else all the rap and the hip-hop and that's a model of how to be it's yeah. a model of what we need to have in the world now at a time when this seems more and more out of reach uh, i can't remember living through more polarized times exactly and that and those are the types of things that can we try to bring us together uh, music and the arts brings everybody together everybody exactly. relates to it in, in their own fashion in their own genre in their own style it's what brings us back down to earth and kind of sit and just listen to something for a while that we can love and enjoy so it was great it was a great night to model that kind of uh, intersectionality if you will and that kind of diversity you just don't get that in a lot of places you don't get that in many places in the world and i think it's one of the reasons that the ugly incident that happened at the Oscars hit everybody so hard. It was so sad and sickening and pulled us down in a way that was almost all out of proportion to what literally it was, you know, if you know what I mean. I mean, yep. there's a horrible war going on in the world. There's climate change. So we're talking about the mortality of the planet. I mean, you know, there's violence everywhere. And then you have this incident on stage at the Oscars. And it just was like the straw that broke the camel's back on some level, yeah. really exposed a certain kind of um, destabilizing of everything. I'm still working my way through it. We got to keep singing, Greg. We got to keep singing. Yeah. All kinds of music. Well, I'll throw my April 23rd and 24th North Shore Music Theater, Grand Night for Singing, Rogers and Hammerstein Night. Oh. We'll be back that Saturday and Sunday. As you know, Joyce Voices of Hope raises money for cancer research at the Tamir Absolutely. Center for Targeted Therapies. and. One of the things that brought us together back then was um, your story 
You're a three-time cancer survivor. Yes. Which was what we love to celebrate. We love to celebrate the survivors and the people living living through it, living with it, and living beyond it. And that's what we're mm-hmm. trying to achieve. It's a miracle that I'm here. It's three times I've survived this uh, disease, two different kinds of cancer. Melanoma, which is a vicious, aggressive skin cancer that spreads very rapidly and metastasizes to the brain, the liver, et cetera, et cetera. And until quite recently, there was no cure for this. There was very little you could do about it once it was sort of out of the box. And then they started to find out that if you caught this early enough, you could intervene. And now they actually have protocols for treating advanced melanoma, Mm -hmm. which has offered incredible hope. At one point, it was considered an incurable cancer, but they're making great strides on several fronts. Not enough from my point of view, (laughs) but we're still working on it, right? Early, early, early detection is the key, and we need to see a lot more money put toward that end. It's a great unmet need. The second cancer I had was ovarian cancer and then a recurrence of ovarian cancer. And that is, again, a a very silent killer. It's often not diagnosed until it's fairly far along, which is why the statistics on survival for that disease are so bad. Luckily, my cancer was caught very, very early. My body sent up signals that I paid attention to, and they were able to catch this. And even so, they misdiagnosed it every single time. The melanoma, the ovarian, and then the recurrence were almost overlooked and or misdiagnosed by doctors, wonderful doctors who eventually cured me. To this I say, you have to pay attention to your own body. You know what's normal for you. You are not a statistic. Everybody is unique. And so if you're alert and sensitive, your body will talk to you. Then you've got to get to a doctor who will hear what you're trying to tell them. And when you find the right doctor, and not all doctors are created equal, that is a healing relationship, when you find the right doctor. And then I say go in and be as aggressive as you possibly can and fight hard. And then finally know that there's a tremendous, tremendous network of love and support out there for all of us. Your organization is among them. You are saving the lives of people that you will never meet and that have never met you. But they feel it and we know it. And all of us survivors are aware of that. It's what moved me more than anything as I went through my disease. I'm convinced it helped me find my way and cure me. And I will never forget that. There is lots of hope, voices of hope. You're doing tremendous work. Well, thank you. Yeah, hard to quantify, but we all feel it. So thank you, Greg. Thank you. Thank you for that. We have many, many members who volunteer hundreds of hours, and we always talk about their volunteerism. Every time we meet and we talk, we say the same thing. You're working for people you'll never know, but they know Mm -hmm. what you're doing. So just keep doing that. When we were shut down for those two years, we actually created some music videos that we sent to the patients who were getting treatment because they couldn't have anybody with them because of COVID. So Mass General asked us to do some some of those things and send them back to the patients. And and it was just a great way to give back to to them as they go through that because, you know, going through treatment is bad enough, but when you have to go through it alone for those hours that you're in there doing your infusions and chemo and all of that, 
it's worse because you're just going in your own mind and talking to yourself. And I can't even imagine it, quite frankly. I mean, I went through chemo. I went through surgery. I went through surgery again and again. I couldn't begin to imagine doing any of that alone. Yeah. Uh, and I was lucky to have family and friends, etc. But this network of support is out there. And that's what I felt as much as I felt all of the immediate help from the people around me, the people I could see, I felt that. I felt that in really tangible ways. Even these days, I still run into people who say, oh, I remember when you were sick and my family and I prayed for you. Or I remember we kept you in our thoughts. Or they ask me how I'm feeling. And I am 30 one years out. So wow. I am feeling really great. So whenever I say I'm happy to be here, I, I, <laughs> I really mean that. I'm really happy to be here. It is a great gift. You talked about melanoma and the strides they made in melanoma. One of our members was diagnosed with stage four melanoma. Yeah. They told him to get his affairs in order. There's really not much we can do. And then a trial came up at Mass General. He went on the trial, and he just celebrated his fifth year cancer-free. Oh, fantastic. It's unbelievable the strides they've made. You know, 30 years seems like a long time, but it's really not in research because as Dr. Yurik, who's the head of the Tamir, tells us, from the time they think of what they're going to do to the time the FDA approves it, if it gets approved, it's 10 years. Yeah, and there's something wrong with that model, Greg. Yep. There's something very wrong with that model, and this is where I'm trying to put my efforts now. I'm actually writing a book about my experiences. Great. And what I see is a big hole in how we approach this disease. This is not a, a new idea. It's not an idea that originates from me, but it's an idea that I want to continue to shine a light on, and that is focusing more on early detection. Because of anything, early detection is the single biggest prognosticator of how a patient will do. The earlier you catch a cancer before it's metastatic, and you can think of it like a pandemic in the body, once that's out of the box, it's much harder to deal with because it keeps on mutating. It keeps on changing and resisting treatment. So the sooner we get this, the sooner we can adapt screening technologies and tests to uncover what's going on in the body before it gets out of hand. That's the bullseye. And of course, we need to keep on researching treatment for once cancer is out of the box. But I always thought that we were approaching this from both sides equally. Not so. I think only 10% of the NIH budget goes toward early detection research. Wow. That is criminal. And that's why this is taking so long and the bureaucracy, and all of it. I could go on and on. <laughs> we can do better, so I'm going uh, to be the squeaky wheel. Oh, well, keep us up to date on that book. I, that'll, that'll be great. Will do. When my mom was diagnosed with her first cancer, not the one that took her life, but she had cancer previous to that, it was like pulling teeth to get her to go see a second opinion. Like, it's, you know something else is wrong. Let's go see somebody. Oh, but he's my doctor. I'm like, he, but he's not a cancer doctor. So sometimes the older generation, like my mom was, you know, they've trusted their doctor because that, they were brought up that way. That's your country doctor and that's where you go to. Exactly. And, you know, you've said a mouthful and I, I should have said that. It's one of the big things I talk about. 
I got second opinions. I mean, that also saved my life. Yeah. People didn't know what was wrong. And they diagnosed something and said, you're fine, you're healthy. But I knew I wasn't well. And I went and I got another opinion. You know, it's, it's so true. Women don't like to challenge their doctors. Men, you can't even get them to go to the doctor. <laughs> but if you, if you finally do, you know, not as I said, not every doctor knows what every other doctor knows. And sometimes there are specialists. And sometimes there are people who are up to date on the research. And you just have to be fairly aggressive and take charge of your own health. If something doesn't feel right and what the doctor is saying just doesn't land right and you still don't feel well, speak up. And any good doctor will welcome a second opinion. Any good doctor will welcome that phone call and attempt to get to the bottom of it. They will often facilitate a second opinion. So not to worry. I mean, the truth is if a doctor makes a mistake, it isn't the doctor who pays the price. Right. It's you. We have to stick up for our bodies and for ourselves because it means more to us than to anyone else. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. You've got to take charge, find out all you can find out and go see other doctors. Yeah. And get a team of people around you. You don't have to go in by yourself. I mean, you don't, you, I don't, don't go in by yourself. It's an awful lot when you're emotionally engaged and it's about your body. You can't hear everything. Go in, bring your husband, bring your best friend, bring your sister, bring your daughter, bring your son, you know, bring, bring someone who can take notes, who can ask questions, bring your mother. I brought a team of people in with me when we would go in and sit down. Yeah. It would land on all of our ears and we would put all of our heads together and we would come up with the best course of action that felt like the right thing for us. And not every person who has cancer is going to do the same as every other person who has the same cancer. It's not the same in any two bodies. When we donate our money, it's to the uh, Tamir Center for Targeted Therapies. When they first explained it to me, it's like the AIDS treatments. It's a cocktail. So they, they take your DNA, your genetics, and then they figure out the best way to treat your tumor. Mm -hmm. And if that happens to have a, a coincidence of another person's tumor, that that can go. And so it can start with one person and work up into, you know, millions of people who might get that cancer. But it's targeted to that specific person because, like you said, not not any tumor is the same in any other person. I'm also hoping that what we learned in COVID, as far as research and getting approvals and getting things done, can be yeah. looked at in the cancer world because it's been two years for the pandemic, but it was almost less than a year. I can't remember the date that we got yeah. our first COVID vaccine. Look how fast they got that vaccine together. Yep. Now, nobody's trying to say that that vaccine is the same as a cancer vaccine oh, yeah, or yeah. that treating COVID is the same as treating cancer. Cancer is not just one thing. It's an infinitely ser an infinite series of complex diseases, that all with particular characteristics that have to do with all the systems in your body. It's more the bureaucracy of it. You're exactly right, and I do think people are paying attention to that. Yeah, I actually sit on the IRB board at Mass General now for Tamir, and I get to sit on these amazing every two-week reviews of the trials that are getting ready to start, or they're in the midst of the trials and, and updates and things. I won't say fast tracking, but you've got MGH and Brigham and Dane. They're all sitting together doing it now where it used to be in separate silos. But now all mm -hmm. those brains <laughs> are coming in together yeah. at once. And I'm hoping that that leads to a quicker approval through the FDA once they see it works. You know, then it's just it was so much there's so much paperwork to it. That's what I'm hoping oh, that the COVID yeah. piece will 
get to to these other these other diseases. Absolutely, we need a better model, a better template for how we manage the the paperwork, as it were, all the levels of you know trials, et cetera, that things have to go through without shortchanging right. the thoroughness of what has to happen. I'm with you 100%. So let's spread the wealth and put our heads together. Exactly. I can't wait to uh, read your book. I follow you on Twitter and all that stuff, so I follow along. Follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and my own site, JoyceSChoices.com. Great. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for coming back for a group that nobody ever heard of to have you come and be our first MC take care of us the way you did. I, I was really honored, and I thank you for that. Hopefully, uh, we'll get to do it again sometime. Thank you. Call on me, Greg. I'm honored by all of the work that you do and incredibly grateful, as is every cancer survivor and patient out there. So thank you. We need more of those stories of survivorship. Just so you know, April 23rd and 24th at the North Shore Music Theater, a grand night for singing. We are back. Voices of Hope. It's a compilation of the best of Rodgers and Hammerstein, done with some uh, really cool ways. I'm doing in a quintet. Everything's up to date in Kansas City from Oklahoma, but it's done Manhattan's Manhattan transfer style. There's a lot of other really funky and new ways that the music was written. So it's a lot of fun and it's all your favorites from Oklahoma, South Pacific, Carousel, a lot of good dancing, and it's just a fun night of theater to get back into it. So come out and join us on April 23rd and 24th, and you can get tickets at uh, nsmt.org and check out our website online at vohboston.org see what we're doing. I don't know if you saw them, Joyce. We did last year, we did eight music videos and created an online virtual show since we couldn't be live. Mm -hmm. And we've all said now that we never want to do another virtual show in our life. (laughs) It was incredibly hard. I mean, we had to learn how to record and video and put it all together. So for eight videos, it took us almost uh, nine months to do it. But it came out really well. So if you want to check us out, you go to vohboston.org and you can see that there as well. It gets easier if you try it again and again and again. That actually gets a lot easier. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. <laughs> yeah, it, it's dangerously better at it. Well, we'll put it that way. We're like, hey, we should do Yeah, let's just go back to theater for a little bit, okay? Thank you very much. It'll <laughs> be back next time. Andrew Marshall from Boxford, who is on The Voice, is our next guest in the next couple of weeks. We're actually going to be performing with him coming up at MGH for their gala. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you, Greg. Celebrate